At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Good evening, Rifters! This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Remy, Dungeon Master and a player on the Riftwake podcast. I'm Mitch, a uh, player on Riftwake and a D&D enthusiast. And today's topic is banking. Hey Mitch, what is banking? Ah, uh, that thing that I don't have enough money to do. <laughs> oh. Okay. Uh, all right, let's try something a little different then. Why might banking be relevant to Dungeons and Dragons? Because uh, gold is heavy and you don't want to carry all of it all over. Correct. Do you know how heavy D&D money is? No. All right, so this is actually something that has a specific value given. It is 50 coins make up one pound. And that is supposed to be the case for most denominations, as far as I'm aware, so that the actual amount of the valuable metals is just hand wave basically so just like just don't worry too much about it that's just what it is so maybe the coins are smaller maybe it's alloys but whatever it's supposed to just be 50 coins to the pound so with that in mind what would you say would be a nice amount of treasure to actually just come across as an adventurer Please be somewhat practical with this. Hmm. I don't know, like a hundred gold or something. I mean, like an actual, like, like a, like a treasure chest, or just like an actual, like, significant amount of treasure. I don't know. I just stab people in games. <laughs> How about something like you know ten thousand gold or so in like a nice sized treasure chest so you find like a classic pirate treasure chest open it up it's just stuffed with gold coins like how heavy do you think that such a thing would be like let's say it does have ten thousand gold in it uh what is that a couple hundred pounds uh exactly to a couple hundred pounds it is two hundred pounds precisely <laughs> so yeah so everyone always thinks about the whole like oh yeah we find you know we kill the dragon and now we found its hoard that is you know mountains and mountains of gold but 
most DMs, like even if you do let your players have a bag of holding, there's still the question of, okay, how the hell do you transport and deal with large quantities of money in a D&D game? Portable hole. Even so, that's still a finite space. You might be able to fit like one pile of gold in it, but like even like a okay to use a more modern example harry potter is shown like his bank vault in the first harry potter movie and it's a rather considerable amount of gold there is more gold in harry potter's account than can be carried in a bag of holding or portable hold or handy haversack all of them just and that is a good amount of gold but still not that much by D standards and yet, that's still more than can be fit in any of the actual, like, canonical, just extra-dimensional spaces that a player might have access to. And even then, like, it is much smaller than something like Smog's Horde in The Hobbit, because that is truly... that. Uh, actually, fun fact, I think someone actually did the math once. Uh, the amount of gold shown in, in uh, The Hobbit is actually more than exists on the planet Earth. I just thought that that was a fun fact. <laughs> and still probably less money than Jeff Bezos has. Uh, you know, that's a good question. I'm going to have to Google that later. I, I, I know that they did do the math on that They one. did. They, yeah. I, I know for a fact that they did. I'm pretty sure I've got the page bookmarked. Just because I think that that's interesting. But anyway, the point being made is that gold is heavy, and it's also something that can take up a rather significant amount of space, especially when you do get into the quantities of, you know, higher level D&D. So when you do start getting into the kind of territory of just, you know, hordes of gold, well, you need somewhere to put it. And at least in our world, the way we've come up with dealing with such things is banks. So with that in mind, I'm actually curious. Do you know if banks canonically exist in D&D? I would imagine so. They do. It's not something that really comes up a lot, but yeah, it's talked about in a, actually quite a few books. It Weirdly enough, well, maybe not weirdly, but Descent into Avernus mentions it. Uh, not technical, well, okay, it, a fuzzier line of whether it's D&D, but Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica also mentions banks. So there's backgrounds, there's books. Like there's actually quite a number of mentions of banks. But one just detail of that that I find a bit interesting is the fact that there is mention in the very barest sense that such institutions might exist. But that is it. There is no detail that I am aware of, at least, for any fifth edition material to actually talk about it in any great length like it is just mentioned that you know the counting house exists that there is a bank in this spot and that's it nothing about what kind of services might be on offer nothing about what they actually do just yeah it can be a thing you know dms have at it so with that in mind what do you think that i did with that information you made 38 tables <laughs> Uh, not quite that many, but, <laughs> but yes, I did make plans and made numbers and yes, I do have a couple of tables. So with that in mind, what are 
the reasons, plural, for a bank to exist. So the most obvious one, of course, would be... So you don't get robbed. Yeah, a safe place to keep your stuff. And I use the word stuff here purposefully, because a lot of people immediately think of banks as just money. But the thing is, safety deposit boxes are a thing too, at least in our world. And I think that that makes a kind of interesting thought experiment for D&D. So in a D&D world, you could make banks be a thing that exists, and there are a lot of things that you could do with such institutions. So I don't know if I really need to say this or not, but I just want to. To be blunt, I'm not a huge fan of uh, the way that banking works in our world, but in D&D, I can take everything that I dislike in our world and make it into something that works. Debatable whether I succeed or not at any given moment, but politics, banking, what have you, honestly, that's one of the beauties of D&D, is that you can take all the things that exist that you don't like and make it work in a way that works for you. So with that in mind, what are some things that could be useful for a D&D bank to exist for? Transfers. Yes! Abso-fucking-lutely. So, we mentioned briefly before that, yeah, hauling massive amounts of gold isn't really possible. Even if you have bags of holding, if you're trying to truly carry a massive amount of wealth, well, it's actually pretty damn hard. Like, it's something that I don't think most DMs even actually really think about, besides the fact that, like, okay, yeah, you know, you kill it, and it's just assumed that you just have that ability to transfer it. Um, so actually, before I get into too many details of the hows, uh, I do feel the need to mention, are you aware, Mitch, of other forms of carrying more wealth? Jewelry. Ah, there we go, yes. Jewelry, art objects, and just plain old jewels. But another one that a lot of people don't necessarily know about is trade bars. Is that something that you're familiar with at all? No. Okay, how about if I rephrase it to say gold bricks? Oh. I mean, I know they exist. I'm very much not familiar with them, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all right, fair enough. Yeah, that's one of those things that's just a bucket list thing of mine that I will almost certainly never be able to fulfill is to just own a gold bar because that would be pretty neat. But it's one of those things that's just kind of cool to think about because gold is really, really goddamn dense. So if you do have just like that, you know, classic movie style, like whatever it is, three inch by inch by six inch, something like that. Like, that is a massive amount of buying power, but also still really, really goddamn heavy. So honestly, the most efficient method of carrying large amounts of wealth would be actually jewels. So jewels are something that don't actually get talked about a lot that I really see in here. For some reason... A lot of people seem to always talk in terms of, you know, gold, coins, yada yada, what have you. But yeah, jewels exist and they're statted out. And yet, for some reason, that's one that I really just 
don't see a lot, which just seems ever so slightly odd to me. Like, it's not talked about enough to the point that I'm dragging out the sentence so I can try to find where they are in D&D Beyond with more difficulty than I was expecting. Oh, that's why. They're under gemstones instead of jewels. That's dumb. <laughs> All right. Anyway, sorry about that. No. So what would you say is the highest denomination for just a small gem that might be carried? You mean like diamond or something? Yeah. How much do you think a diamond is worth? Uh, 500 gold. You're pretty close on the numbers, just off by a factor of 10. 5,000 gold. 5,000 gold. So yeah, there are actually quite a lot of gems listed. Um, I don't want to count them because there's two pages worth of them. But yeah, they have a lot of different gems in different denominations going from 10 gold up to 5,000 for a diamond. And yet, when was the last time you actually heard a D&D conversation of you hand over a pouch of... You know, just if you say you hand over a pouch of 5,000 gold, can you imagine just the actual quantity that that takes up? Like, that's not just handing over a sack. That's having two people just lug a massive sack. Because that still would be like, like 5,000 gold is 100 pounds. And yet... Like, again, it's just something that most DMs, players, just don't think about. But on the other hand, if you just hand over a diamond, well, that's... On the one hand, yes, it is less interesting just to say, like, yeah, you, you toss him a diamond and that's that. But from the practical standpoint, like, you'd think it'd come up somewhat. And then that would also be a way for adventurers to carry large, large sums of money. If they did just have 10 diamonds for 50,000 gold, well, that's something that you could very easily carry on your person. But what would be a potential downside of carrying that much? You lose it? Yeah. I mean, it's a kind of ridiculous thing to think about on the one hand, but just what if you do just get a hole in your pocket and you just lose 10 diamonds and lose 50,000 gold? That... I honestly don't know how I would mentally be able to handle losing 50,000 gold. That's, that is just an inconceivable amount of money to me. And to just lose that would be pretty terrible. And of course, there is the theft potential. If you do just have that like in a coin purse on your side, then yeah, there might be some, you know, some rogue just in a random city that has a very, very lucky day. So, all that being said, we can loop back to the original topic here, which is banking. So, how do banks work? Good question. So, the very, very simplified version is that they accept storing money for people, and in exchange, they invest that money in order to make money. In like some prime housing loans. Fuck you. Not in my world. But that does bring up very nicely the very first thing of other services that a bank can offer, which is loans. 
how often in a D&D game do you come across a situation where the party has a pretty decent amount of money, but they're still short of something that they want or potentially even need? Like, that's something that happens pretty often, yeah? Probably. And yet, even if it is a game with, you know, a bunch of charismatic characters that might have a lot of connections to NPCs, when have you even heard of the concept of a loan coming up in a D&D game? I don't think I have. Ever, right? And yet, there are all kinds of situations in which you might need a significant amount of gold in a rather short period of time. And yet, there being some kind of institution or just even just a rich individual just being asked for a loan just isn't something that comes up in most D&D games. And I'll be honest, that's one that honestly confuses me. Like, they know... Like, even if you do have a D&D game where you have, like, a patron that's giving you quests and, you know, you live in their, you know, house, whatever the situation may be, like, that's just the idea of loans just don't seem to be something that a lot of D&D characters, or just a lot of D&D players ever really consider. So this, of course, takes me to the first difference between my own D&D banks and the real world. The idea, the very concept of compounding interest offends me. It, it just does. I despise the idea of it. It just is a dick move, for lack of a better phrase. So if you want to introduce banking with loans into your world, don't do that. Not just for the morality or lack thereof. But because math, like it is well known how much D&D players very often hate significant amounts of math. So trying to keep track of something like that would just make everyone involved unhappy. Thankfully, there is an easier solution that I wish were the way things worked like that in the real world, which was just have a flat interest rate. So like, let's say that you are in a situation where like they're charging a pretty hefty 25% interest. Okay, so what that actually means then would just be you take a loan of 100 gold, you have to pay back 125 gold within some period of time. And just that's that. Don't bother with complicated details. Just assign a number and make known like what happens if you don't, because that can also be some pretty interesting storytelling. Like, if you want to have a situation where, like, yeah, you have one year to pay back that 125. If you don't, they've got leg breakers that get sent after you. So good luck with that. On the other hand, that would actually be a pretty interesting story. If you had the situation where the actual party and the campaign that you're playing is a group of leg breakers that work for an institution that do just track down people that have defaulted on their debt. Like there's actually kind of a lot of interesting story to that because that is a very human situation. So even in a D&D world where there's a lot of beings that aren't human, that core just morality of that is still there and could make for very interesting storytelling. And that's something that I would honestly like to see more stories told about because there's a lot of angles that can be taken with such a situation. You can have the situation of, like, maybe someone is just getting 
you know, have, getting robbed by thugs. So they weren't able to get all the gold that they ought to have had for the business they took out the loan to open. Maybe there is the situation of, you know, a scoundrel who is trying to just escape after they're able to get the loan and just try to never pay it back. There's a lot of stories that can be told just with that. So doing a campaign with just that would be very easily possible. So another fun thing, though, I uh, mentioned a little earlier about safety deposit boxes. Can you think of some amusing things that might get stored in a safety deposit box in a D&D world? A lich's phylactery. <laughs> yes! Abso-fucking-lutely. So... Whatever my one weakness is, <laughs> it's going in the safety deposit box. Uh, you've read the Evil Overlord list. Of course you fucking have. Of course I have. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, anyway, uh, Lich's Phylactery. So, okay, speaking of the Lich Phylactery being in a safety deposit box, what are some of the potential downsides to having banks in a D&D world? Uh... Bankers. Yeah, you can absolutely have asshole bankers. But actually, another part of that, so something that could be a pro and or a con would be, depending on what level you want to start a campaign, like let's say your DM has made the choice that like everyone is able to start with an uncommon magic item and, you know, that's that. But like, let's say there is something that you really have your eye on or that just really suits, you know, the kind of character you're trying to make. So you might propose to your DM, like, hey, what if we make an agreement that my character has taken out a loan to get this thing that I want so I can have the thing, but I have this over my head, so I need to get my hands on, you know, like, let's say, you know, 1,200 gold within the next two months left of in-game time like that's a pretty significant thing to have over a character's head and that could be something that really does kind of shape that character's actions and behaviors in that campaign 
And that could also, again, make for interesting storytelling, which is one of the goals here. But even then, one massive potential downside of having banks in a D&D world, what if you've got evil players or you're playing an evil campaign? Hmm. That'd look like a mighty tempting target. And honestly, like if you do really consider all the types of magic that do exist in just a normal canon D&D world, yeah, defending shit is really, really hard. Like, hard enough that I'm actually not going to talk about that right now because our next episode that we're going to record right after this is going to be on magical protections because that's a really large topic in its own right. So, with that in mind, though, what about non-magical protections? What would be some ways in D&D to keep a location safe? Surround it with a moat of lava. That would be one way to do it. I don't know that I would count that as a non-magical defense, though, if you want to keep it from hardening into rock. Well, you just got to keep it flowing. Uh, there's still the temperature issue. I didn't say it was a good idea. I said it was a non-magical idea. <laughs> okay, how about how are you non-magically getting enough lava to fill a moat? You have it at the base of a volcano, and you have a bunch of slaves dig a giant channel, and then it just like gravity <laughs> do the rest. Dude. <laughs> Uh, i'll be honest though like the idea of just a bank in a volcano for some reason amuses me like that actually i really do like the idea of because if you do make it a particularly inhospitable spot or like let's say you actually do have a bank carved into a volcano but it's through like a purposefully maze-like series and series like just very very long tunnel system so that it's uncertain exactly where in the volcano the bank is located, that would actually help a lot, even from something like Dimension Door. Because Dimension Door lets you teleport blindly, but its best defense is simply not knowing how far or where to teleport to or out of. So yeah, security through obscurity in a volcano would actually be pretty good. Because if they do teleport wrong, well, that would be a very quick but bad end. Because death by lava, not one I would like to experience. Probably still better than drowning, but not ideal. Hmm. I wonder what lava feels like. That's another thing that just like I'll never be able to fulfill on my bucket list. Like I would love to just be able to just like poke lava with a stick. And oh, you can poke lava with a stick. Yeah, but that would require me actually having enough vacation time left over to and the money to go and do that i can do some little vacations i don't know that that's a vacation i can afford oh well maybe one day a guy can dream can you think of any other just kind of more typical non-magical defenses moat full of alligators <laughs> okay sure you know what i'll even go one step farther from that one though there's a lot of more dangerous creatures than alligators that you can potentially get your hands on in the D&D world. Moat full of tarasks. I, you know what? Fine. If you're a DM that says there's enough amphibious tarasks in your world to fill a moat, fuck it. Fine. It could be a dry moat. A what? A dry moat. Oh, dry moat. Okay. For some reason, I heard try. No. Me. 
<laughs> I, I mumble. Yeah, so do I. It's it's a thing. <sighs> anyway, oh man, now I'm just imagining, just seeing just a line of Tarasks just going one way only in this kind of too small for them moat. God, yeah, I mean, to be fair, I wouldn't want to fuck with a place that somehow has a whole bunch of Tarasks. So, yeah, you know, like, you're not wrong, but boy, is that a terrifying one to contemplate. <laughs> anyway, honestly, the first option would simply be material. Because in our world, like, material science, like, having the kind of anime type of materials where, or where you can have, like, a giant mech, you can't do in our world because, like, steel, titanium, like, all the materials that we know about simply can't support the weight of such creations. But in a D&D &D world, adamantine exists. So you can have a building made of adamantine, you can have a vault made of adamantine, safety deposit boxes made of adamantine, and even guards made of adamantine. If you wanted to just have like a construct run bank that's just themed adamantine, that'd be pretty goddamn cool and be a rather interesting show of wealth for the institution itself in a rather interesting direction than just you know, having like gilded decorations, which would be like the kind of typical way you'd imagine as a show of wealth. But having just constructs, warforged, what have you, just as the ones to run a bank, like that'd be kind of interesting to me. And like I personally, just because I do have, you know, pro machine bias, like if I had a bunch of constructs as the ones to protect my stuff, like, I personally would actually trust that more than flesh and blood people, because even knowing that Warforged are sentient, like, I do have anti-meatbag bias. Like, that's just <laughs> an arguable flaw that I personally have. But just So they're hacked. Well, that's not really a thing for Warforged, because, again, depending on your interpretation... Like they might very well just be individual, just people with souls, just in constructed bodies. But that's a bit more of a tangent. We already talked about that enough in the Warforged episode. But the point being, though, if you just have adamantine, that's pretty easily doable. And what's also kind of funny, there is at least one example that I'm aware of of an existing adamantine building. Are you aware of the magic item Instant Fortress? Yes. Yeah, so that is a rare magic item that makes a tower made out of freaking adamantine. So this is a magic item that can be shrunk and just restored back to normal. So if you can do that with magic, then building something out of adamantine, theoretically at least, should be cheaper than that magic item for a building of that size. Although, to be fair, a bit of a tangent, but the Instant Fortress is an amazing magic item, but the fact that you do have an adamantine tower as a rare magic item is weird to me, because that seems like something that should cost more than 5,000 gold, but that is what it's listed as, so I'm not gonna fight too much about that right now. 
But point being, canonically, you can have an adamantine building. Although, to be fair, if you really wanted to, you could just have stone. Because stone is durable as hell. Not to mention the fact that 5th edition particularly has quite a number of spells that let you actually reshape and make stone. So there is the wall of stone spell that just lets you permanently, if you concentrate for the full duration, just make walls. So if you did just make a bunch of stone, even in a place that doesn't have any to be quarried, you could build stone buildings relatively easily. And even if you don't have that particular spell, there's also uh, transmutation magic. Like, and I'm talking canonical spells here, not just hand wavium. Like, there is canonically a spell that lets you turn mud into stone or stone into mud. So if you do either direction, you can just have existing stone turn to mud that gets just shaped into a building that you just end the spell and it just, instead of mud, then just is a stone building. So if you have a building that is feet, feet thick of stone, that's going to help keep a lot of individuals out. And again, that one is definitely more vulnerable to magical manipulation from other magic users than adamantine, but it's still something that is good enough for a lot of situations. And of course, you know, other metals besides adamantine exist. You could certainly use steel, uh, potentially mithril, but I'll be honest, I just, I love me some adamantine. It's just a fun material. Uh, anyway, uh, besides just the existence of it, though, can you think of any other just services that you might want to make use of in a D&D world? Security guard? Maybe. You could... Maybe you could just have individuals at the bank available for hire for other tasks. So maybe it is. Like, I'm just going to kind of stick with my adamantine bank example just for convenience sake. So let's say that they do have these, you know, adamantine warforged guards. Okay, that is a very, very, very tanky individual, most likely. So having such, an, such a person be hireable for outside services, like when they're off hours, potentially could be very valuable. Or maybe it is something that is just hired out from the bank itself. And well, you, know, like, you ever see those, uh, you know, the armored cars, like they go to the grocery stores and pick up the deposits and stuff? Yeah. You do that? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe they do offer just escort services just to escort large, you know, sums of value just to and from the bank itself. And even if it is just, you know, to and from the bank, that could still also be particularly valuable. But if you are able to also just rent out the uh, armored wagon or what have you, yeah, that's something that could also have a lot of just interest in a D&D world. In addition to that, something that you also mentioned earlier, which is transfers. The ability to access your money in more than just the location you deposited it. Because again, in a D&D world, a dungeon master can make the choice that let's just say there is the city bank that just is a bank in this city, and that's that. Like, a person can go to that location to store or withdraw money, and that's it. On the other hand, if you do want to make it more of an institution like it is on Earth here, then yeah, that is a choice that you can make. If you want to have it be that most cities of a population over 10,000 or whatever you decide on, 
is probably going to have a branch of this institution that has, you know, instant communication magic of some variety or another. Or maybe there is just some kind of large tome or slab or just something that is able to just communicate instantly the information of the balance of individuals between institutions. All right. I just came up with the perfect idea how this bank works in real life or in, in magic real life. Uh-huh. So you got your, like your tellers and stuff, and then everything, the vault, all the documents, they're all in their own little demi planes, and they can all be accessed. That demi plane can be accessed from any location. So it's like you go, you fill out your paperwork for your withdrawal slip, you give it to the teller. The first thing they do is they go to the one one demi plane that's got all the documentation. They look at your balance, and then they go to the next docu- next demi plane that's actually got like. <laughs> the money, and then they make your withdrawal. That would be pretty neat. And honestly, an angle that I myself had not considered, but certainly am now. And even another way that you could do that, imagine if this was an institution that simply had a item that was able to cast any plane. Uh, how aware are you of the particulars of that spell? Not very. Okay, so it actually has a relevant detail that I do quite like. Well, actually, a couple of them. So first things first is that when the spell is cast, you can choose to have the door connect to a demiplane you've created previously with that spell. So one thing that would be a kind of cool option then, like, so maybe what a real high-end bank could do is imagine if you did have some kind of just like large gold key that is an item that once a day just allows a casting of demiplane and therefore you just have access to this room-sized vault once a day that you're just able to access thanks to this magic item and again by having it be a permanent magic item able to only cast once a day that would actually be relatively attainable, or like magically speaking, in terms of making such an item. I mean, if you can have Helm of Teleportation exist as a rare magic item with three charges, then making a one-level higher spell once a day? An argument could be made that that might be an equivalent value. And again, I have gone on record multiple times about how Helm of Teleportation is very undervalued, but it is rules as written, so the argument can be made for a demiplane key to exist at a similar rarity. And that would be pretty goddamn awesome. Because, Mitch, can you think of any pros and cons of a once-a-day accessible demiplane? Well, I mean, you can only get into the vault once. Once a day. Yeah, but I mean, it would definitely cut down on robbery. One would hope. I mean, what's the point in robbing the bank if they've already been in the vault? Yeah, but also just the fact that each, you know, like, high-ended individual having their own demiplane would also just be a valuable service just for individuals of that tier, because that is something that they might just keep access to, and they might just have some of their wealth in the demiplane, but still keep a large amount of their wealth stored in the bank vault, because, again... Like, a bank wants to be able to use money, but being able to charge customers, like, maybe this is something that only the bank themselves know how to make such an item, 
So it would be a premium service that bank offers to keep some of your wealth in this accessible Debbie plan. So then it becomes kind of a win-win where high-end people have the accessibility, but they still have most of their wealth kept in the main bank. And yeah, then the bank also gets to make money on the massive sum of wealth and they get to make money by just selling a rental, especially of this item, to individuals. Because again, this is another thing that just on the loan subject that I don't see ever in D&D is the idea of a rental of something. So if you have a magic item that is just given to you on loan, I, I just never see that done. So if you do have like something like this demi-plane key, that, okay, yeah, it is a significant convenience. So maybe it is just like loaned out to the individual for a flat fee. Or you could also go the more dickish route of having a monthly or an annual fee. But again, I prefer to keep this less dickish if possible because, well, in that respect, at least, I try to be less of an asshole myself. But your mileage may vary. Again, as a DM, that is a choice that you yourself have all the freedom to make. In summary, there are a lot of angles that can be taken to tell interesting stories in a D&D world by the addition of banks and banking. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash riftwakepodcast. Tiers start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to a monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even input on Riffs and Rules topics. Find us on social media on Twitter at riftwakepodcast, on Facebook as riftwake, and you can send us an email. Riffs and rules at gmail.com. That's riffs and rules at gmail.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.